This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. I want to do a little survey this morning, so participation is required. And um, <clears throat> if you grew up... Um, in, a, in a Baptist environment, would you stand to your feet and stay on your feet? If you grew up in a Baptist environment, would you grow up? Now, if you're brand new to church, a Baptist environment is a particular kind of church. If you grew up in a, in a Nazarene environment, would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet? If you grew up in a Methodist environment, would you stand to your feet? If you grew up in a Presbyterian environment, would you, would you stand to your feet? If you grew up in an Assembly of God environment, would you stand to your feet? If you grew up in a Pentecostal environment, would you stand to your feet? If you grew up in a, in a Church of Christ environment, would you stand to your feet, a Disciples of Christ environment? If you grew up in a completely different religion other than Christianity, would you stand to your feet? If you grew up in no religion at all, would would you stand to your feet? And those of the rest of you, help me to know what your growing up was. Shout it out. Catholic environment, would you stand to your feet? It's in my notes. That's what happens when I go off notes. I have it in my notes. What else? A and me, A and me, A and me, stand to your feet. Non-denominational, stand to your feet. That's our way of saying, well, we all grew up in a hundred different denominations, right? So we're non-denominational. Is there anybody else we didn't include? Awesome, you guys can have a seat. People ask us what kind of church we are in real life, and I say, well, it's, it's a little complicated because of what you just saw and what you just experienced. We're a Jesus church. That's what kind of church we are. We are a Jesus church, and so you want to pin us down, and you want to put us in a box, and you want to define what kind of church we are. We belong to Jesus. We are his church. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're Jesus' church. That's what kind of church we are. We are Jesus' church. And you're like, no, no, pastor, I want, to, I want you to tell me what kind of church we are. We are Jesus' church. He's the head of the church. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. We follow him. This is his sacred scriptures, and we open it up, and we say, Lord Jesus, we want to follow you. Everything that you've said, we want to do it. Lord, we don't want somebody else telling us what, what we ought to do. We want you, King Jesus, telling us what we ought to do from your word. So are we a non-denominational church? I mean, maybe you could describe us that. You know, it seems like we're an interdenominational church because some of you grew up Methodist and some of you grew up Presbyterian, some of you grew up Baptist and some of you grew up Catholic. Listen, we are a Jesus church. And as we study the sacred scriptures on Sundays together, oftentimes the echo of what we grew up in is in the back of our head. And you'll hear me teach on something, you'll read something in the scripture, and what will go through your head is, well, I always heard, I always heard, I always heard. And the reality is, is what you always heard can rob you of actually hearing what God actually wants to say. Did you hear that? What you always heard can be the echo in your head, and it can rob you for what the Spirit of God wants to say through the Word of God to you. So this morning we're looking at one verse together, <laughs> one verse, and, and in this one verse you've got some terms and some theological concepts that have historically been debated. You've got some terms and some concepts that have historically been um, mis, 
misunderstood and mischaracterized and misconstrued. And, and all of us probably grew up with some sort of understanding of some of these words, if any understanding. And if we went around the room this morning, just as we all stood to our feet describing our backgrounds, we would probably say, well, this is what I heard, and this is what I heard, and this is how it was described to me, and this is how it was described to me. And this morning as your pastor, I just want to say, do your best to listen to the voice of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the sacred scriptures. It's my hope that in 10 years you won't be telling somebody, well, this is what Pastor Freddie T. said. But it's my hope that in 10 years you'll be saying, well, this is what I've read in the sacred scriptures. This is what God's word said. I'll never forget sitting in New Testament. And um, a New Testament professor, Dr. Tom Schreiner, wrote the, book, uh, wrote the commentary on the book of Romans that thick. Brilliant man. Far more brilliant than I'll ever be. And I'll never forget him saying, you know, I, if you knew Dr. Schreiner, you would appreciate my impression of Dr. Schreiner. He's a little Seinfeld nasally-ish. I won't do it all the way. But he said, I used to believe this. And I was reading and I was praying, and I was thinking, and God changed my mind. That ought to happen to us regularly. Regular. It's a big book. It's a bit, and every time you read it, there's something fresh. And when I heard Dr. Schreiner say that, I just thought, oh Lord, help me to be a, a humble man. So that at any point in time, you can shape what I think. At any point in time, you can correct a previously held understanding. At any point in time, you can disrupt and shift and transform and, and change how I think. And it's my hope that he'll do that for you today. But not just today, but tomorrow and next month and next year. That we'll, that we'll in, be humble interpreters of God's word. And, and how do you know if we're humble interpreters? We say things like, I may be wrong, but this is what I think it means. I may be wrong, but I think that this is what it means. So my call to us is to be humble interpreters. As you saw all the different backgrounds stand up this morning, like all I could think of is, man, community groups are going to be lively, you know? Because everybody heard a little bit different. One verse, verse 30, are you with me? Hold up your Bibles to let me know you're tracking with me. Let's dig in together. First um, Corinthians 3 tells us that we are God's building. And so that's the theme that we're working with this morning is we are God's building. And so let's look at verse 30 uh, together. Verse 30 of Romans chapter 8. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called... He also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray together. Father, speak to us through your sacred scriptures, personally, powerfully. Help us to wrestle with you and wrestle with your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we get sloppy and often we get shallow with our theological language. And we're all in a process of growth. And so this morning, I don't suspect it. Most of us will have this aha paradigm shifting experience, but rather we'll just have one step in the journey where we're stretched and we're challenged and we're encouraged to think upon the sacred scriptures. But I, I, I've got a picture for you that I want you to see of this umbrella that I drew for you. Don't you love my artwork? Not really. 
I'm glad I'm a preacher maybe and not an artist, but um, this is an umbrella, and this whole umbrella is salvation, and everything that God does to save his people falls under this umbrella, and what we just saw in verse 30 are these phrases, that he predestined us, that he called us, that he justified us. Now, you see the next word, that he sanctified us, and you're like, where was that? I didn't see that. Well, you see that back in verse uh, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son what that is is being sanctified so he already introduced that concept in a phrase not in this word and then glorified I want to give you a few definitions a few starter definitions of these words and so here comes some definitions if you will so predestination is God's sovereign determination of salvation uh, people often come up to me and say do you believe in predestination I believe I, I believe the Bible's true and the Bible clearly teaches predestination. And, and, and this is a concept that people often have a, an emotional reaction to, and they often have lots and lots of questions about, as they should, as they should. But, but let me just caution you this morning that if this doctrine and this teaching that is clearly found in the Bible doesn't fit in your current understanding of who God is and what he does, allow the Spirit of God to stretch you a little bit. Don't, imme don't immediately squash what the sacred scriptures clearly teach, but allow the sacred scriptures to stretch you a little bit, to open up your mind, to open up your thinking. It's okay if you find yourself at 2 a.m. in the morning trying to understand the doctrine of predestination tomorrow morning. It, it's, it's okay if today is the first time you've ever considered it, and as you look upon the pages of the sacred scripture, you see that Paul clearly taught it, and if you find yourself at three in the morning on your knees crying out to God saying, God, I don't understand, that would be a much better response than just casually dismissing it as that's too complex and I can't understand it. Allow the Spirit of God to disrupt you a little bit, to stretch you a little bit. And then we see calling, and calling is the process where God, by His Spirit, draws people to faith when they hear and understand the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It's the good news that, that God is a loving, holy creator and that he created man in his image to be the pinnacle of his creation with the high privilege of reflecting the character and the glory of God to the world. We are God's treasured pinnacle of his creation, yet in our sin, we've marred that image. We've broken our relationship with God, and our sin has separated us from God. Yet God, in his great love, sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on the cross for our sins as our substitute. He, he was buried, and he was risen victoriously from the grave. Knowing that his death was enough, God raised him from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now he extends eternal life to everyone that would turn to him and trust in him. That's the gospel. Jesus will one day come again and take those home who have turned to him and trusted him. He'll, today he'll fill you with his spirit if you trust in him, if you turn to him and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. That's the good news of the gospel. That God is loving and holy and man is the treasured creation of God but is sinful and rebellious. And God in his love sent Jesus to be the substitution lamb on the cross, dying in our place, and that if we respond to this good news, that he died and he rose again, if we turn to him and trust in him, we will be forgiven of all of our sin. We'll immediately have a relationship with God. Heaven will be our future home. We'll never have to fear again. You turn to Jesus and trust him. Go back to the umbrella real quick. 
just to see the progression. I want you to notice the progression. He predestined us. He called us. And being called is the process whereby the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, draws us to the Lord as we hear and understand the gospel that I just explained to you. When we turn to him and trust in him, we are justified. Go back to the definitions. Justified, being justified. Justification is the instantaneous act in which God forgives all of our sin and declares us righteous. This is what it means to be justified. It means that we're made right with God. That's what happened. God makes us right with himself. We're justified. It happens in an instant. It's an act of God. It's a legal declaration. Forgiven, holy. And that's what he says about you and me when we turn to him. Forgiven, holy. I don't feel holy. God says holy because he treated Jesus as though he was unholy. So he could treat us as though we were holy. That's justified. Sanctification is the process of God molding and shaping us into the image and likeness of Jesus. That's what's happening right now. He's sanctifying us. He's molding us. He's He's making us more and more like Jesus. God is fundamentally not committed to our comfort. He's fundamentally committed to our character. And then glorification is the final step of salvation where God eradicates our ability and temptation to sin and gives us a perfect resurrection body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we use language like I was saved, and that's appropriate language to use. But being justified is just one step in God's salvation process. The book of Jonah says salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is not our doing, it's God's doing. It's God's purposeful, gracious intention to save some rebellious lawbreakers. And I just want to come around three ideas briefly this morning. The first is that God is a great starter. He's a great starter. He predestined us. He determined what he would do to save us in Christ Jesus. God is a great starter. I've got a a picture of the starting plans of our building. It's like God was the chief architect. We're building a building right now, right next to Sango Elementary School. And before we ever broke ground, and before anybody got to work in building, and before anything started on that land, there was a start And there was a plan to build. There was a drawing to build. This is what God has done in in, in predestining us. He's not indecisive. He has a plan. He has a purpose. God has a vision. God is not lacking ideas. He needs no plan B. God does not need to be motivated. He doesn't need anyone to prod him. He doesn't need any encouragement to get to work. God is a great starter. He's never had writer's block. He knows how to get going on a project, and he's masterful at it. God is the ultimate architect. God is a great starter of salvation. So he's a starter. He's not just a starter, but God's a great builder. We see this in the text that God called, he justified, and he sanctified. Here's, the, here's our current, a picture of the building um, coming up this uh, Saturday. Is it this Saturday or next Saturday? Somebody help me. We're having prayer. This coming Saturday, no. What's the date? 25th, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Thank you. We're gathering together on the land by the building to pray over what God's doing. And we've got a saying here that the building ain't the building. It's just the house of bricks where the builder's going to build his building. 
Why do we say that? It's because in 1 Corinthians 3, God says that we're his building. So, so we've got architects and we've got builders and, and all these talented, skillful, brilliant folks that are using their God-given skills to build a building that will gather in. And for, and for generations to come, people will get saved and get married and get baptized and repent and find Jesus inside of this building. And we'll send people to the nations out of this building, but the building ain't the building. We're God's building. We're God's building. So just as folks are putting their skill here to build a building, God is a great builder. He calls us to himself, he justifies us, and he sanctifies us. He's a great builder. He has all the tools. He knows how they all work. He doesn't build with cheap stuff that's going to break in a year. God executes with skill. He doesn't put things in the wrong place. He calls. He justifies he sanctifies. He's a master builder. He doesn't miss a nail. Everything in, everything's in its place. He doesn't put the bathroom in the wrong spot, and he, he doesn't paint with a wrong color. He's a master builder, and he calls, and he justifies, and he sanctifies. And then finally, God is a great finisher. God's a great finisher, Don't you love the promises of God that he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it under the day of Christ Jesus? What is your hope of salvation? Is it the strength of your obedience? It better not be. What is the hope of your salvation? Is it the strength of your faith? It better not be. What is your hope of salvation? It better be in the faithful promises of God to fulfill what he said he would do in us. He predestined and he called and he justified and he sanctified and he glorified. One of these days, one of these days we're going to roll up on the land and it's going to look a little like this. It's, you know, pretty close anyways. You'll get out the picture and you'll be like... That, that bush isn't supposed to be there. <laughs> now they'll do the final walkthrough. Everything will be cleaned. Codes will approve everything. And all the final necessary steps will be completed for us to take residence of this building. And one day, listen, one day Jesus is coming back. And he's going to give us a brand new resurrection body. And when Jesus returns, he's going to eradicate every sinful desire and every propensity toward temptation out of us, away from us, forever. It's called being glorified. It's called being glorified. In other words, before you were created, God was planning your salvation and predestining you to be saved. He drew you to the Father by his Spirit, convicting you of sins. And when you trusted in him, he justified you in a moment, declaring you to be holy and forgiving you of all of your sin. And now today, the great builder is building us, sanctifying us, molding us into the image of Jesus. And Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to glorify us. God's going to finish his work. You may feel like, it's going a little slow in my life, right? Like I still have fits of anger that I'm trying to put to death and I still have lust that I'm trying to overcome well God's molding you and shaping you and he's building you and sometimes the dirt is a little hard to get into and sometimes the spirit of God has to bring his jackhammer of his love to break our hard hearts but he's determined and he is skilled 
And he will shape and he will mold and he will finish his great work in your life. He's not done with you, but one day he will complete you. Glorified. I want you to notice in this one verse how it's past tense. Would you look at that with me? And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, here we are and we're not glorified. So why does Paul write it in past tense? Worship team is going to come and help us respond this morning. But I, I want you to consider why does Paul write in past tense if we're not glorified yet? Listen, it's because God's work in salvation is so sure that in the mind and heart of God, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. Paul writes in past tense because God is holding the whole universe in his hands. Nothing will thwart the purposes of God. His purpose to mold you into the image of Jesus and to come and take you home and to glorify you and to give you a perfect resurrection body that no longer has any temptation to sin. He will fulfill his purpose. He's so certain of it. He's so sure of it. Nothing is getting in the way of God redeeming a people. Nothing is stopping the purpose and the plan and the execution of God's plan to save his people. Nothing's stopping it. Nothing's getting in the way of it. He's so sure of it that he writes it in past tense. Because <laughs> God ain't worried about it. Some of you are worried about your children. But God's not worried about any of his children. The, the road of sanctification is a rocky, messy road, isn't it? It's a painful road. It's a difficult road. Sometimes it's a confusing road. Not to God, but to us. Pastor, what are we supposed to do with he predestined and he called and he justified and he glorified and he sanctified and he glorified? What are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? If you're taking notes, one word. Punch this into your phone. Write this down. One word. Are you ready for it? You're like, I'll remember it. <laughs> I see you. Rest. Let your soul rest. God does not want his children to be anxious, frantic, scared that his purposes won't prevail in their life. Rest. Listen, some of you today, you need to rest for the first time. For some of you today, for the first time, you're seeing clearly spiritually and you see that you're loved, though you're unworthy of the love. You're a sinner, but there's a perfect Savior, and you need Jesus. Call upon him today. 
The Bible says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And once and for all, all, your soul can find rest in the Savior. Trust in him. Follow Jesus. Make him your Lord. Let us know on a connect card that you're trusting him today. Let us know today that you're trusting him. Put that, put that connect card in the, in the box on your way out. Text mission to 97,000. Let us know today I'm resting in Jesus. I'm trusting in him as my Lord and Savior. I'm finding rest. Many of you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. But you often find the walk unpleasant. You often find yourself in a cycle of frustration. You're, you're too introspective, looking at the measure of your own works. The Bible clearly says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But my encouragement to you this morning, church, is to work it out from a place of rest. God built a Sabbath into the rhythm of creation. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. So when we live our lives right, we work out of rest. We Sabbath and we go back to work out of rest. And so in the same way, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not fear that I'm not going to work well enough, but fear that he is holy. Fear that I don't want to run away from him. He's too good. He's too great. He's too mighty. And you work out your salvation with fear and trembling from a place of rest. James said, James said, Faith without works is dead. So rest in faith, in the provision of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, in the promise of God through his son Jesus. Rest, rest, so that your work is humble. Because if you try to work out your salvation with fear and trembling without resting in Jesus, then your working will be a prideful, arrogant, I'm going to somehow have a hand in my own salvation. I'm going to somehow earn my own salvation. Don't do it. Don't do it. We are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. So no man can boast. God will share his glory with no one. With no one. With no one. Um, church, would you just wrestle with God? Would you just wrestle with God? Would you just wrestle with God? Would you go home and not say, well, this is what Pastor Freddie T said, but would you go home and open up the sacred scriptures and say, what has the sovereign king said? Would you do that? Would you go home and would you go to your community group and, and not dwell on what did Pastor Freddie T say, but open up the sacred scriptures and says, what has God said? What has he said? And let's wrestle with what he has said. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, he said, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me for. He says, I have not arrived. So don't anybody go into your community group this week acting like you've arrived at your <laughs> interpretation of the sacred scriptures. Don't do that. Be a humble interpreter. And start by saying, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. But I think this is what it means. Amen, church? Hey, listen. 
If by God's grace, empowered by his spirit, we become a church like that, it'll be really, really special. (laughs) It'll be really, really special. Why? Because all over, all over our country, churches divide fellowship over issues that should not cause division of fellowship. So let's lovingly disagree. Let's warmly disagree. Let's patiently and gently debate. And in that, Jesus is exalted. Because what's not most important is that we get it right. What's most important is that he's exalted in how we live among one another. So we've got this massive opportunity, church. We've got this massive opportunity. This morning you saw, like, we grew up from a hundred different backgrounds. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's let him unify us in the glorious gospel of his love. Love you. I love you. I love you, church. Oh, my gosh, I love you. I love you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We worship you today. We praise you today. We exalt you today. We're humbled today. We give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I want to invite our staff and our elders just to make their way to the front. As we sing this last song, if you need to be prayed for, if you need healing, you come. We'll pray for you. If you need God to break up the thorny ground in your heart, if you feel like your heart is hard, if you feel like your spirit has been dry and you need somebody to pray for you, you come. Let's stand to our feet. As the staff and elders come, you come, you pray. You grab somebody by the hand and say, I need you to pray with me. If you need to put your arm around your spouse and pray for your spouse, you do it. If you need to huddle your family up, circle up, pray for your children. If you need to gather somebody with your community group and seek the Lord together, let's respond to this great grace. Let's respond to this great love. As Tammy shared with us this morning, come on now. No golf claps for the King of Kings. No golf claps for the great I am. No golf claps for the the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Come on now. Let's worship him. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.